Welcome to Noah Kagan Presents. What up, everyone? It's your boy, Green Tea, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. And in today's episode, I have one of my best friends in the whole wide world, Neville, the brown dude, Medora. And he is one of the most interesting, amazing, and handsome dudes I know in the whole wide world. And this podcast is actually sponsored by his mother for all the dating profile websites out there. (laughs) No, I'm just like, we actually recorded a two-part series on how the heck did Neville go from selling a rave product business, he had an e-commerce store selling rave products like glow sticks and candy necklaces, yes, I'm serious, to a healthy, high, six-figure business. Yes, six figures, maybe even seven, teaching people about copywriting. So in this episode, we discuss life, love, copywriting, and more. I'm super excited for you guys to hear about this. Here's a few of the snippets that you're going to devour. What exactly is a Zoroastrian? How did Neville exactly make a healthy six-figure digital information company? No fluff, like the literal step-by-step. What to do to stay sharp with your skills as you get older? What is Neville's death clock? And how to make your work a classic? There's a bunch more in there. You're going to love it. Really look forward to getting this up in your earlobes. Enjoy. All right, so today we're with one of my best friends, Neville Medora, brownest person I've ever met. <laughs> are we recording? The, we are recording. King yeah. of the King of the Pennies. <laughs> what other kind of? Do you have any nicknames? I always say that I'm genetically bred to be an Uber driver. Brown skin, black car. It's perfect. <laughs> genetically bred. You, what were your nicknames in high school? I don't Nev. N- nothing crazy. Oh, people. My, a lot of my friends call me Nev Blog from my first blog. Really? Yeah, they still call me Nev Blog to this day. All my Eastern friends. Kind of all right. And so you're a Zoroastrian. Uh, we're going to get into that in a second. But the whole point is that I wanted to document, like, how did you go from kind of not really having real clarity in college? You know, you want to start a business. You kind of had an e-commerce store that sold some stuff. And how did you specifically transition into making a six-figure business over digital products, like info products? So we'll get into that story. And that's what I want to, to get out of this. Um, before we jump into that, what, what's been the most unique thing about your religion? Uh, I think the, the, like the tagline for our religion is awesome. So good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Do you guys have a tagline? We have a tagline. Yeah. We've got some good copywriters back in 5,000 BC or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Good thoughts, good words, good deeds. It's not like don't eat meat, don't eat blah, blah. It's just like good thoughts, good words, good deeds, pretty much it. And I, I've always loved that concept. Good thoughts, good And it's Zoroastrian. Zoroastrian. Yeah. It's one of the oldest monotheistic religions, whatever that means. I feel like that's a spelling bee word. You see on ESPN, they're like spell Zoroastrian. It's like X, <laughs> J, Orastrian. Well, if you meet another Zoroastrian, tell them that they, that you know Neville Medora. There's like an 80% chance like I know who they are. What What is one other thing that I could tell a Zoroastrian that, that they'd be like, oh, he's in, he knows. Like, do I have to wear, like, you know, Mormon, oh, no, no, Mormon Sikh. They wear like special underwear. Yeah, yeah. So there's a Sudra and Kusti. I used to wear it until college, actually. The uh, special underwear? Well, it was like a, it was an undershirt, like a really light kind of like undershirt. And then this like string around your waist, kind of like, you know, Jewish people had like that stringy kind of thing. I don't even know what it's for. Yeah. It, well, so I used to wear that all the time, every day of my life until like starting maybe mid-college, I stopped wearing it as much. Why'd you stop in college? Uh, it, it just got in the way. It was like when it was hot, it kind of looked like you were wearing like a bra under your shirt. <laughs> so I would stop wearing it when I wore a white shirt, then when it was really hot and then it just got less and less frequent. Now I don't really wear it at all. It's kind of interesting how like good or bad habits happen. You kind of like, it's like drinking or smoking cigarettes. You're like, hey, I'll have a, like people are like, oh, I'll have a cigarette cause it's like, I'm sad or I'll have a cigarette cause I'm happy. And then it's like every day you're smoking. Same with drinking. It's interesting how like things fall off or things you get either into things or out of things. Yeah. Is that an observation or are you? Well, it's just me? interesting with religion where you're like, <laughs> I, we can cut some of this out, but I think there's, there's something interesting about that from, a, from like habit formation. 
So in case you don't know, I just like fucking with Noah a lot. So <laughs> you'll probably yeah. notice that the rest of us like... That's why we have a film guy here, just in case we start fucking. Um, so in the journey, how did you, you know, questions that we're going to answer is how'd you get first into selling products? Moment that you realized uh, you could make a living selling products, mm-hmm. your worst failure, some of that stuff. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting journey. So we are going on Neville's journey of how we went from nothing to a six-figure business uh, selling digital information products. Yeah, and everyone wants to sell digital information products now. I, I, why do you think that is? Let's just start with there and then okay, we'll get I into this. So, so I think the reason that everyone wants to sell it is like, let's say something costs $100, right? A digital product. Every time you make a sale, you deliver them bits and bytes, which is just like essentially free nowadays. Mm-hmm. And the profit margin is basically 100% minus whatever the fees are for the transaction. So let's say out of $100, you get $97 in profit is essentially. So it's a great business model in terms of that. Yeah, I mean, the idea that like I create this thing one time and then magically money just comes into my PayPal overnight is a really great concept. I think we're all for that. One thing I just wonder, though, is that like, how did it get to the point? And maybe we're jumping too far ahead and we we can do this a little bit and come back. Is that like a book is $10, right? Like Mm -hmm. this growth, hacking growth book, right? $12. You're correct. Yes. And somehow with digital products, we've gotten to the point that like, hey, it's going to be $2,000 for the same information, but I'm going to put some videos and a WordPress site around it. Like, how did that become? Like, how? Did, I guess I wonder how that became like acceptable and like the norm almost today. Well, so let's say I record a couple of videos. That's like proprietary stuff now. If I'm famous, that's kind of cool. And so I can sell videos better than a book. Like a book, like how many people actually finish books that they read? Yeah. Like not a lot. Yeah. Whereas I think when someone buys uh, an information product, they could at least sit there for two hours and absorb the videos and they get a little bit more out of it. Also, video is just a higher bandwidth transfer, not like physically, but like in your brain. I can explain something so much better on video with all the cool. But is video worth 10 times more than, than words on paper? It depends. For some people, no. Like a lot of people, what I found out in my like research and surveying people, a lot of people read transcripts of videos rather than watch the videos, which I found weird because oh, the customers do. The customers, huh, they, they always get them. People to this day get on me. They're like, you don't include the transcripts. I'm like, who reads the transcripts? They're like, uh, a lot of people that either can't have uh, fast enough internet to stream all the time, or some people just like can't watch a video at the moment. So they, they read the transcripts. Or I find it, for me, sometimes I just want to skim through and it's easier to skim if like there's text that's formatted to some yeah. extent. That- but you're absolutely right. Like what can you learn from a $2,000 video course that you can't learn from a couple of books that cost $50? Um, I would say you're absolutely right. Nothing. I say it's just structured better. <laughs> well, theoretically structured better. I, I think what people, what I think about is like, I go to a therapist and I spend 125 for a session. I think it's just like relative cost. Like where did these come to be? And I think one of them is like, if you go to therapy in person, that's 125. That guy same writes a book, that same knowledge is $10. Mm-hmm. But I think you have to go through the uh, same thing of um, absorbing it yourself. Whereas with a course, it's kind of like laid out for you in the right structure, exactly how to learn it. But you're right. If you have the well, so, is, so is a book though, dude. If, if you're poor and can only afford $50 in education, like you can learn all this shit from blog posts and, um, and books. How did I learn copywriting and then turn around and sell it for a lot more money? I learned it from reading blog posts and books. That's that's just it. Yeah. All right. So I think that's a bigger discussion. We don't. I don't think we have a great answer why it's worth so much more, though. No. I don't think we have a great. Answer. I have some other stuff on where the future of that is going. Let's and come why I think it's. Uh, let's come back to that. So let's start in the beginning. All right. So digital products are here. We, there's a lot of people like yourself make six figures. Like we've created a course monthly one K that's made seven figures. Not plus wanting you, but we did. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, there's digital we did products. We business blueprint before that. And, you know, you made and a then, And then you wrote the blog post before that. Damn, you got the last one. It's like that game where you keep using your hands <laughs> yeah. up and up and up. No, so, so to begin, um, you know, you made six figures. You're selling digital products. Like, how are you making money today? Let's just start with this. So, and maybe this is the best place to start. We, we, what do you, how much money are you making today? Like, can you break it down? 
Uh, I'm not going to say the exact numbers because I want to say that, but it is like well into the six figures. And let's say the copywriting course costs currently $497 at its current iteration. I don't know, whenever people listen to this, it might be different, but it costs $497. Every time I sell one of those, that's just almost pure profit for me. And so the goal is to sell a thousand of those. And then I also am doing six classes this year that are different than digital products. Okay, so you make your money doing consulting, right? Like one-on-one, yeah. like, hello, Julie, let's talk yeah, about every your, Tuesday your and Thursday, I'm on calls with people, yeah. yeah. So, I, I'm actually a copywriter, yeah. So Tuesday and Thursdays, you keep your practice sharp. Yep. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, you're doing- I write. Pro- you're writing. I write, yep. And then you have classes, which are basically, instead of one-on-one, you have like group class sessions. Yeah, exactly. So this last one we had was the autoresponder class. And so I've already had made a course about autoresponders, but what happens is people buy it, see the information, then don't do anything with it. So you have your product, you have your digital products, yes. your digital car. Uh, so every time someone buys one of those, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. You have one-on-one consulting and then now you're starting classes. Yeah. So, I've so been, you're saying how you evolved the class thing. Yeah. So the autoresponder class was an example of one. I've, I made this a product before that we actually even sold an AppSumo autoresponder course. And it was a, it was a thing that shows people how to make autoresponders. But what happens is a lot of people take it and then don't do anything with it. So I made it actually a class. So it's a four week class. So you sign up and the first week, I help you write your first autoresponder. The second week, there are four weeks. That's what it is. So it's so, four, but, weeks, four weeks of stuff and right, it's like so live office hours. In terms of, well, let's take to, let's stick with the, like, how do you make money today? You have those three things, right? Yeah. And what's the revenue, not, what's the percentage between each of those? So like in terms of your digital product, your one-on-one and then your group. Well, your this group. is the first year we'll do a bunch of different classes. So I actually don't know. I imagine it'll be maybe a third of the revenue will come from the classes, what I'm estimating. Okay. That's like on the low end. And then most of it will come from the digital product and then a good, like, I don't know, maybe half or something will be from the uh, the consults. L- let's stick on that for one second because everyone out there, a majority of people out there have shitty jobs or they have shitty bosses, Noah at Sumo, uh, <laughs> or they, you know, they don't like certain things and they want these digital products so they could A, travel the world, B, have a, a better boss themselves, hopefully. You know, so there's a lot of appeal about like taking your knowledge, digitizing it and, you know, magically money comes in overnight, which is great. Yeah. Uh, why then do you keep doing consulting? Why do you keep doing this one-on-one helping people where you can't scale your time and you have to physically be there? Yeah, that's what everyone asked me. They were like, oh, but you can't scale it. It's just like, okay, so here, my current consulting rate is 600, 597, whatever, 600 bucks an hour, right? And so that's the amount of money to where I would say like, if someone, I'm just like walking around, you know, walking around the lake and someone stopped me and be like, hey, Neville, I'll give you $600 to hang out with me for an hour and just like help me write some copy. I'd be like, 600, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> like that's the, that's the number I'm happy with. Also, I need to stay sharp. Like a lot of copywriters openly brag about like, oh, I don't do any client work. It's like, then why the fuck should I listen to you? Like, if you're not actually doing it, why should I listen to you? I'm doing it every Tuesday, every Thursday. And so uh, I'm on calls. I get to see inside everyone's business. That's another thing. It's like competitive, like intelligence. I get to go inside like these sales teams, see what's working, see what's not working. And then like either copy it or use it as advice for other clients. It's kind of awesome. That's where I meet a lot of friends through, like consults. That's how you make friends. I, 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 <laughs> make all your friends I'm sending an invoice for this later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a Jew and a Zoroastrian are hanging out. Uh, so you do consults and you, you uh, that's interesting. So, but, but here's here's the trick with the consults. You have to be super strict with them. Like I don't let people email me later and be like, hey, Neville, can you review this for oh, me? Oh, that's interesting. Exactly. That's why people hate consultations. They're not strict. I have extraordinarily clear boundaries. Like what are the, the boundaries? Uh, like we, you ended in an talk, hour. Uh, I I always go over for the most part, but I reserve the right to end at one hour exactly. However, if I want to go over, if I'm feeling like it, 
I can. What's the longest you've ever gone over? Uh, probably two hours. And you don't charge an extra hour? No, not for that. Unless we specifically say like, let's go another hour and charge for it. What Otherwise did you, when you started doing consults, like what did you actually charge? Uh, the first one was like 80 bucks. Okay. And then how long did it take you to go from 80 to 600? Oh man, I think maybe two years. Two years. And how long, how many do you think you've done total? Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. Uh, you're in the I, I don't know if I can say thousands, but hundreds. Probably, probably like, probably four hundred. I would say. What do you think it is for other people out there? Do you think if someone else, even if they want to be a consultant, like there's probably a bunch of freelancers listening or people that are going to be learning from this. Do you think there's a lesson there about sticking with something and like, yeah, you started at eighty, which is even high then for most people. Yeah. Um, but like, hey, you just stuck with it and you've done hundreds, if not thousands, of them, and then that helped you evolve and feel even more comfortable charging out six hundred. Um, I didn't feel comfortable charging 80. And then when I bumped it up to 120, I didn't feel comfortable with it. And then when I bumped it up to 150, I didn't feel comfortable with it. It was just that too many people were buying them at that price to where I kind of had to bump it up. And, um, and like, it, it was a little bit scary to do that sometimes to be honest in the beginning. Yeah. Now I'm like, if you want to talk to me, you have to pay this price. It's okay. What have you noticed about yourself from that? Because you charge for it. Uh, so one, when people weren't paying for it, like I, I do, used to do free ones. I used to be, do the dumb thing and be like, yeah, let's, let's hop on a call and talk. We ended up talking for an hour. They basically tap my brain. They're not serious. They don't show up on time, nothing. Now I make them pay. So people say, hey, can we get you to review our sales teams, blah, 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 blah. And I'll say, cool, let's do it. Buy a consult and let's start. They buy the consult and they pay me 600 bucks. So the day before I show up prepared, I show them with a, with a Google doc. I show up on time. I'm not hungover, none of that stuff. And they show up on time too. That's like the how, best part. I, I like how now in our generation, one of the highlights is I'm not hungover. <laughs> like it's not well, like, re well rested, not hungover, yeah. stuff like that. <laughs> it's like I had no gluten today before this meeting, though, guys. You're fine, right? That's all weird. Well, they're paying. You got to show up like sharp. Like oh, so how do you fucked up? I think that's actually really important. It's something you said even about this specific episode. You were like, "Hey, you prepare a lot for it." So, like, what are you doing to prepare for these consults? I, I give them a Google Doc. I did a whole thing about consulting where I literally give away the template that I show, like that I do these $600 Okay, we can on. link to that. I, uh, I do uh, a Google Hangout. So I call them over Google Hangouts. I schedule it in the calendar. And then I have a standard little, just a notes with their name, my name, emails, phone numbers, and stuff like that in case like connection problems, whatever. Yeah. And then we take all the notes in a shared doc and that, no that doc is theirs to do whatever they want with. That's it. That's all the preparation. And so I, I guess one of my my philosophies or theories for business wise is that like you take something that you're doing over and over and you're because you're probably giving the same answers to most of these people of course I mean, a lot yeah. of it seems like the same thing yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean let me start with one question like what's what are the common mistakes for everyone out there like that wants to get become a better copywriter and i want to go more through your journey but i think there's something really valuable about like when you're seeing literally thousands of hours of copy like yeah. what do you notice i think that one of the most common things is actually it's not the copy that's the problem they usually bring up something um and they're like yeah can you help this copy i'm like wait who comes to this website? They're like, well, no one, we just started it. And they're like, yeah, but we have like 40,000 people on a Facebook group. I'm like, why don't you write it on there? Like, that's where you have all the distribution. So usually they're just like, oh, they're so in the box. And this happens to me, it happens to you, everyone. When you're really in the box every day, you don't see something really obvious that someone coming from the outside can. That's why I also don't do a lot of reviewing of their site before. So whenever I come in, I'm just like, wait a second, why is it like this? And they're like, you know what? That's a good fucking question. I don't know. And then they change it. It's awesome. So that's the most common thing. It's usually not the copy. It's more of like a business thing. Another it's, yeah, it's more, more like a business thing or they're just posting in the wrong place. Uh, one of the last clients I had did like 
she was explaining to me what they do. And it was so many buzzwords in a row. I had to just stop her and be like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what do you, I really don't understand. Break that down. Tell me what, what you mean. What was the example? Uh, I, I don't, I'm not going to say it just because it's like confidential and crap, but it was like in the healthcare space and stuff like that. I was like, what are you talking about? And it was just like, maybe if you just literally list out what you're trying to sell, really dumb. And they were like, well, I thought because we're a, a healthcare brand, we have to act like big. It's like, yeah, that's why you're not making any sales. Literally after they changed it, like everything changed. They started making sales, everything. And is there any other common copying mistakes actually on the copy for people who are that do have the traffic? Probably too much. Like okay. a lot of times when they're trying to sell something, they try to act too fancy, write too much. They think like, it, we've talked about this a lot. A lot of people think like they have to write 4,000 words for content. Like what's that number? It's just like, you could say the same thing in two sentences maybe. So they write too much and I like whittle it down. I also take the language down to like, I don't know, eighth or 10th grade level. Hmm. I don't make, I don't make it fancy buzzwords. I don't use it all unless it's a specific industry where everyone knows what that buzzword means. That's just for them. Yeah. You're programming in a Java class and you, you say what GitHub get, you push something and like, they know that's GitHub, right? You said something about uh, a lot of time, you know, everyone, this is a kind of analogy that helps a lot of people. It's like, you can't really look at yourself without a mirror. Right. Like, you can, how do you know how you look? You need something to reflect it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's what I think about coaching a lot of the times where it's like you need someone that's like looking back on you from whatever angle you want, like for my copy or for my sales or for my business or for my like chess game. Yeah. Uh, how do you know which is like the, the person that you should believe in terms of their coaching or in terms of the digital product or anything like if they've done it before? Like I, I listen to all feedback, but if it's like some bum on the street, and he's like, oh, your videos suck. It's like, okay, who's he? But if you tell me that, I'm like, I hold your opinion in much higher regard. Hmm. So I'm like, okay, well, Noah thinks that. And this other guy who I respect a lot thinks that maybe there's something wrong here. Yeah. So if they just done it. Oh, we talked about this all the time with gurus and stuff like that. It's yeah. like, have they started an eight-figure business? They actually started. Well, have they started that not starting that business? Not, you know what I mean? Like their business shouldn't be the business that they just did selling you. Yes. That's a little too much. I think that, I think there's some good advice that some of them can give and some like helpful things, but it's like, if I want to learn how to start a deals company for SaaS products, I'd probably ask you because you've done it. Like, you know, all the ins and outs, whereas someone just like, well, you should hire a team, blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's just generic business advice. You ever tell old people and they think you, you like make copies for them? Oh, they have no idea what I do sometimes. They're like, oh, you work at like uh, Kinko's or something like that? Yeah, they, they, they're <laughs> like, what? What do you do? Copywriting? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, they think I'm a blogger, writer. I don't know. It, I, don't, I, used to, I used to actually be really sensitive about it and try to brag and be like, yeah, I have the largest copywriting blog and blah, blah. And now I'm just like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I almost don't want them to know. Like, Why? It just, uh, I don't know. It just like brings less attention to it. Like keep that moat for a longer I used to want to brag. Now I don't. When, how did that change or why? Uh, I think maybe I got more secure and like the position or something like that. I think when you brag, you're kind of compensating for something. And I think now just it's less. I think so. That's a really strong point. When did that start changing? I don't know. Can you tell? You know me. No, you still brag a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's funny because all my exes uh, have not liked you. Not you all. know this. I mean, I've only had a few, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's not that big of a sample. <laughs> to it's be fair, they didn't like anyone. Well, they didn't like me either. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. uh, But the thing that was interesting about them, they're like, oh, he's so cocky or he's too like, suddenly he wants his attention. And I've always felt like there's people that do that, but I think they're not interesting or I don't find them really like, I don't feel like the attention they get is like worthy, but you always come with like really interesting stuff. So I want you to be talking about that stuff. The, I've, I've actually thought about that a lot. Like why I used to do, I was way more like that before. And it was also like, I would just get bored talking to other people. And so I would entertain myself. And if it came off like that, it was kind of like, I mean, I don't, I don't want trying to be like that, but if it did, it was just kind of like, 
I had fun. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I think that's something that you do. Do right? I have to like dumb it down and like slow down my conversation and everything like for every goddamn conversation I have? Like, no, like sometimes I would take it over and I was fine with that. Do you notice when it started changing? So as you've gotten more successful and more notoriety, like yeah, successful, older stuff like that. I don't know. I've noticed it a little bit as the older I get. I just, I'm like, I just don't care as much. Yeah. Right. I'm like, I'm, it's like you, the, the time, amount of time available is lim- more limited. And so I become more protective of doing that. Like if there's a lunch, like I have a lunch next week. And the guy's cool, but I just don't really want to do it. So I cancel it. And I had a meeting this morning. I was supposed to go skateboarding with a guy. And I'm sure he's like a really great guy. We'd have a great date uh, to talk about business, a business date. And, but I'm like, I don't want to go skateboarding with some random dude. He's more protective with your time. I like what Warren Buffett said. He was just like, uh, I don't do a lot of interviews because I have about 5,000 days left on the earth. And I don't want to spend eight hours doing it. I want to play bridge with my sister on the computer. Dude, I love that. Yeah. And like, that's, that's what his thing was. And it's just like, it's like your life, your time, whatever. Did you watch the documentary? Yeah. Oh, Dude, so, so good. good. If you haven't watched it, Becoming Warren Buffett. The, that's a really interesting point about like, you only have so much time with, uh, for interviews, like how many days? Like I remember what I've been thinking about specifically is that when people ask me questions now, uh-huh. I literally don't want to email people back. And what right. I want to do is- have to? No, it's not about that. What I actually want to do is like, I'll create a blog post or a podcast or a YouTube video. And I'm like, look, I've answered it. So anyone ever asks this question, just look at it. And I think that's a great way for people to create content. Uh, so uh, on, on that note, I'm looking at uh, my death calculator I made. So I'm going to die oh on November God. 17th, 2067. So that means I have 51 years left. So yeah, I have uh, I have 18,520 days left to live. I think that's really stupid. I love it. I think it's like the best so thing basically, ever. This you is a constant argument we've had about like, no, you I, think it's stupid. I, think I don't it's think great. it's an argument, but Neville basically thinks he's going to die. You, you came up the random I'm day. I'm going to kill myself on November 17th, 2067. I'm Dude, not going to die. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to totally have a great fucking party. And you, okay, here's the thing. What you want to shoot me? That'd be fun. But what if you don't actually kill yourself? It could change. It's 51 years in the future. How the fuck do I know? But at that's the same- my point. You're basically, here's, okay, there's actually a bigger concept here. So for the yeah. longest time, let's say for the past two to three years, I always said like, life is short. Life is short. Life mm-hmm. is short. You know, you're going to die. You're going to die. Why are we okay? Why are we, why do we accept that we're going to die? Like Elon Musk and some of these guys are figuring out space. There is some Indian person out there figuring out how to live forever, right? Like Guru Shara is figuring out how to live forever. So, but the bigger point that I think of is that when you start saying I'm dying here, we're not living forever, that's enabling that to not be, ever become true, right? I started not, I removed the vernacular of saying that like, I may not die. I may not die. I'm like, I don't know. I may not die. Let I me remove- offer an alternate perspective. I think that I'm going to die in 51 years. Therefore, maybe I have to hurry things up before then, right? If I think I'm never going to die, I'll be like, oh, I can do it in 200 years. Now I think like, shit, I need to do it in like 30 years. Why don't you just pick two years then? It's just not my desire though. See, that might be your thing, but it's not my thing. No, but I'm saying if you really want to speed the fucking things up, like do it in like 30 days. Like say you're going to die like to my next month. You're like challenge. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've had this other kind of conceptual thought with that related to like legacy. Where like, how would your behaviors change if there was no such thing as a legacy? Like your life, like literally when it ended, the whole world reset. So your kids didn't matter. Your work with like- And what was your bl- conclusion? No, I asked you the question. This is my <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it really makes you kind of realize like it, it, when you say like, okay, there's no such thing as a legacy anymore. The life resets when you die and you, nothing continues. Like your kid doesn't continue. Your work doesn't continue. The statue or a park or your name on a bench somewhere. I think it, it, it probably changes what you actually do in life if there was no such thing as a legacy. And it also helps you probably realize like, what you what matters to you, right? You're like, uh, you know, what's really important? I don't know, like, how does it, what do you think about when I say I think, that? I think we, so one, for the, for the death thing, I think it's useful because like, I, I always tell everyone this example. It's like, imagine you have a test in three months, like a physics test, right? How long are you gonna spend studying for that test? 
like the day before you're going to cram, right? What if you had that test in two hours? What are you going to do? You're going to hardcore cram in that information. That's what I think with life. I'm just like, okay, I look at this thing and it tells me I have 51 years left, this many days, this many seconds. And that makes me think like, shit, everything I ever want to do in my entire life, like has to be within that construct. And for me personally, maybe not Noah, maybe not Brandon, but for me, it's very helpful to know that because I'm a procrastinator by nature. And I was like, I need to give myself an expiration date. So at how, often, how often are you looking at it? Not that much. I don't think about it. I also think whenever I tell people, they get a little bit shocked, um, including my parents. I remember one time I kind of kind of talked about it and like they, like they just didn't like the idea of like, well, you could kill yourself. Like, what is that? It's like no, this far in the future. I think conceptually what you're saying makes a lot of sense, which is I don't think people recognize that time is precious. I think that's the biggest concept. Like your time is limited. Maybe we live forever. Maybe you live 50 years. But I think what you're saying is actually a great reminder for everyone out there. Like this shows it to you in your face. But in general, like the time doesn't come back. Like your father, who my father who passed or this coffee meeting that you're like, that was kind of a waste, never comes back. It makes you appreciate it a lot more when you know that it's going to go away. I mean, but I do, I guess we can come back to this another time. But that, that is interesting that you do that. Um, yeah. You should right. really just do it in a year. But I mean, seriously, <laughs> yeah. if it, sorry, 51, are you definitely going to kill you at 80, 85 or hold? So the current prevailing thing, 85 on my 85th birthday. Um, and what if like, so are you actually going to kill? Or are you going to like for real kill or not? No, kill? no, no. So I have a couple rules. I can't like drive my car off the road and like into a river. You're that, not going to be driving at that, that age. No, you don't think they're going to be having, you think well, they're going to be I'll driving? Be a Tesla Model X and be like, Alexa, kill me or something like that. <laughs> we'll see what she says. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. No. So, um. No, 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 it'll be one of those. I can't bum anyone out. I have to give away all any money I have and, right. and settle all loose ends. I think it's actually a really humane way to go. I think it'll be the norm in a couple of years, for sure. I think it will. Legalized right. euthanasia will be a totally normal thing. For how long did you think that euthanasia, I was like, why is this band so popular? The euthanasia? <laughs> you, I was like, euthanasia, like who you mean are the eurythmics? Is that what you're thinking about? <laughs> I was like, why is euthanasia yeah, so popular? Well, we go to India all the time. Like every couple of years we go to India and I've seen it since I was a kid. These like really old, old, decrepit people who are never going to get out of their situation and it's only going to get worse. And they pray. They, I, I would ask my mom, like, what are they saying in Gujarati or whatever? And they're like, oh, please kill me, God. I'm like, they're praying to die? Like, why, are you, why do people keep them alive? What's the point? Just let them go. And so I was just see that. I was just like, what a waste for the living people to have to take so, care of the old. So since you created this death clock, right? Uh-huh. Which I'm, I need to actually put on my wall because I can't wait, right? Like, that's like my New Year's, right? <laughs> like, put a block of C4 in your apartment and sound on the timer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, how does that change how you behave? Uh, it, I think it makes me appreciate a little bit more. So, like, what is an example of things that, like, before death clock 2000 whatever came out i have thought this way for a very very long period of time i can't think of before when i thought this wasn't a thing i used to i used to think it was 80 but i put it to 85 actually when did you change that uh a few years ago because i thought like if if i do have children and by that time people are still getting married like that's a, a still a social construct and they are having children later and later and later i would maybe get to see a grandchild that that was my my theory that was why 85 if you were going to only live one more year what would you be doing differently what I'm trying to get is that you're giving me all your answers, and this is serious, Noah. You're giving me all the answers that you've repeated at parties over and over. But that's because you know me, of course. This is what I really think, though. But what is it like? That I, shows I, you that that's what the real answer is if I keep repeating it. That's true. I guess I'm also looking for like underlying currents or like things that you haven't really thought about, but bring out interesting parts, right? So like if you only lived like a year, like this is your last year of living. Yeah. Like what would you be doing differently? Or would you be doing, yeah, what would you be doing differently if this was your last year? I don't know if it would be that different. I've asked myself that a lot. 
what would you do different? Like people think they're going to do crazy stuff. Like really, would you, I would maybe buy a motorcycle or something like a little bit more risky like that, but that would, there wouldn't be like that much of a change. I would still want to work on the day to day. I would, I'd probably go hang out with my family more, maybe take like a fun trip. Although I can do all that kind of stuff already. It's like, what? I don't know. I don't know what else I would do. Maybe give away money, something like that. Like, like what, what's the answer? I've never heard anyone that has a good answer for that. I don't think there, it's a, about a good answer. I like what you said. I thought it's like, hey, this I'm doing, I think the to me, the right answer is 85% plus I'm living that way now. Yeah. That to me is the right answer. It's like, I'm, yeah, if I if die at the end of the year, I'm doing, I have no regrets. Like I've done the work, I've done the people, done whatever it is self. That is the things I want to be doing each day. Yeah. Like whenever, whenever I, I've asked you this question, you've asked me this question. I don't think our answer is like, I regret doing this. Like, I don't think we change much. And I think that's a great way to live. Like, great. It's awesome. So we're doing this. Like, this is fun for me. I would still do this kind of shit. This is awesome. I mean, I would do this in Puerto Rico, which we're going to do. Oh yeah. yeah, Which is cool. Nice. Coming back to some of the work stuff. I think this is, is this interesting? I think it's pretty interesting. Yeah. So, you know, you know what's interesting about validation? I, I, I'm a big prefacer, which is something I'm like happy about. I always say like, you know what's interesting? You know what's funny? You know what like is weird? And then like I say my statements. Um, when you ask someone for an opinion and you really know the answer, but you just want them to agree, like there's this coffee table right here and I keep everyone that's come over. I'm like, hey, what do you think of my coffee table? And they're like, I don't know. It's fine. I'm like, exactly. It sucks, right? I remember, you know what? You know what's weird about that? There was someone, what's his name? John Romanello. I think you were yeah. talking about him. And you were talking about, a girl or something like that. I don't know, whatever. And you said that you were like complaining to him. And as soon as he started complaining, he was like, okay, break up with her. And you were like, what? And it's just like, he's just like, do you want to hear yourself complain about it? Or I'm telling you the advice. You just asked me, break up with her. And I think you were kind of stunned by that answer. And I always remember that. Like, I remember that example that you told me of yours. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, John uh, has... He's got, he just gives you straight up advice like that. Right. And then when he's, that when he's presented with that such a harsh like answer, you're just kind of like, Whoa, yeah, that, that puts you in a whole different mode. I was talking about that today uh, on the earlier show with uh, Jonathan Kuhn. We were talking about specifically feedback. And I think you're in feedback, you know, people can go listen to that episode. It's out a little bit before this one. Uh, the things that were interesting about it is number one, you have to be open to feedback, mm-hmm. right? Because it's very interesting when you ask someone for feedback or you get feedback and you're just like, no, I don't want to do it. It's like, were you even listening? Which I think most people don't do. And the second thing that I actually think about you specifically is you need to know who to who is the right person to ask for the right question. So if I want to have like content, like so remember remember when I was doing the episode on my business ideas mm-hmm. on Sumo Gum, and mm-hmm. you're like, that's shit. This is boring. And I was like, okay. I've sent I sent that episode, I'm not gonna say, but to a few other people, and they're like, this is a great episode. I really enjoyed this episode. And maybe it was a great episode and you fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> or in my opinion, I thought you actually really enhanced it. So I think for feedback, it's like making sure you trust or you you agree that, that that's the right well, person. Well, you also have to realize like what you're asking me for is how can I make this world-class top of the line great? I, I said it was good. I didn't say it was great though. Like that's what I was trying to push you towards because I know you want to make classic content you could put out forever. And I didn't think that was it. Can you talk about that? So I don't know if you've realized this. I, I think it was some of the funniest or most interesting preface. Uh, things in life are when you say something, you don't remember it. And then you get all this credit that you never even realized. Like, <laughs> dude, you remember you said that thing to me and it changed my life? I'm like, nah, dude, I was on the toilet. Like, I remember <laughs> shit. But uh, when we were actually working on that episode, and I think it's been a good and bad thing, but I'm really proud. I'm not really, I'm really happy that you've told me this. You were like, no, when you're making this content, not all of them, but the majority of them, make them classics. 
Yeah. And as you just said, make it a classic. Like, how do, what does that mean to you in the work that you do? Like, give, give me like if you have a story or a concrete example around. So, so there's a lot of blog posts that are just kind of me too. If you type in like how to write an about page. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search it. Yeah, do it. How to write an about page. Um, in the end, I want to rank for how to write an about page. I want Google to think that this is the best about page post in the world. I struggled on that one for a long time because it's such a boring subject. And I tried to make it the best I possibly could. And it was like, I stayed up to like five in the morning. I know it doesn't look like it, but I tried my best to like put drawings and make it funny. And I stayed up to like five in the morning when it went out in the morning um, to make that. And it was just like, I'm not going to update this post again. I may as well just make it like the best in the goddamn world. And, um, and that's what I try to do with my content. So I think a lot of the stuff that people see, like it's just like, you know, a post or whatever. Like, oh, how do you make it rank? It's like, dude, there's, I spent a lot of time on it. It, it just seems simple when you see it, right? But I spent a lot of time on it. I spent a lot of time thinking about it, making the little drawings, going back, changing little things on the drawings at 3 a.m. when I don't have someone helping me, I have to go do it myself. Like it's, it's hard, like it's hard work to make something world-class. But I think like, what's the difference between making world-class and just like another article about, oh, you should make an about page like this, this, this. It's just like, that one's not gonna go anywhere, get any attention, do anything. Whereas if I make it world-class, it gets ranked in the search engines. People link it, people uh, send traffic to it, agencies. That was one of my highest clicked things. And I looked, all these agencies sent it within their um, departments. So I always know that's good. How'd you see that? Uh, because you could see how many people open each email. So if it says like one person opens oh. 60 times, you're just like, yeah. Okay. Oh, I never yeah. thought that. Did you, yeah. That's, a, that's always been that's, a thing. I didn't really, I thought that one person really loved opening it. No. I'm like, this guy opens this email a lot. No, really sometimes it'll open like if you have two phones yeah. and an iPad, blah, it'll show four open. Oh, but like, so if some certain yeah. emails are in whatever mail. I would implore you to do this. Look at the ones that open like 60 times. I'm going to look right now. And I bet what you'll see is it says like bluemarketagency.com, whatever. It's always these agencies so that send my stuff. let me just clarify for people that don't know if we've gone a little too fast for it, is that if you're sending emails, you can see the people who open the email and it'll show you how many times they opened it. So Neville's point, which I think is, is accurate, is that if they're opening it a bunch of times, it's likely that they forward it around. It's likely that they're your most like engaged. I know when I used to use Aweber, it was like pretty, like it would show yeah, the people who his... opened it the most and if someone opened it more than 10 times, like that's a clear indication they shared it. Oh, this dude opened it 34 times. Look, what, what is their like last, what's the domain? Nah, it's rogers.com. Oh, so some Canadian. Dude, military? Uh oh, that's not good. <laughs> uh, Martini? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Anyways, that's, that's interesting. I never really thought of how many opens is that they're forwarding it around. I, so I should like the people who open more. Yeah. Um, how do you know when it's world-class? How do you finally know the work that you've done like your, uh, is world-class? I think a lot of it's just kind of like ego of like mine's better than theirs. I think a lot of it is like that. But here's a, the other thing is like, am I just listing out steps to make an about page or am I illustrating it? Am I giving them examples? Am I actually making an about page sample that I'm, I'm linking to a bunch. I'm basically saying like, if someone looks up an about page, am I answering every question they have? That's a bad example because I don't think that post is world, world class. I think it's good, but not world class. Let's take one. Which of your articles is world class? Um, man, I was I, the only thing I think of at the moment is like the life coach one. Okay. So what's different about that one versus other ones? A lot of people have done like, oh, there's life coaches that coach life coaches to be other life coaches. It's like, the, it's the same. See, you're laughing. Like, that's what makes it world class. It's not just a rant. <laughs> you laugh. It's not, it's not a rant. If the person laughs, it's world class. Dude, I, I, will, I will say this. And you know this about me and I know this about you. If it makes us laugh, we'll do it. I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks if it makes me laugh. And, and that's what I think is world class. That's what I'm saying. Part of it's just ego. Like, it makes me happy. And that's why I think it's better. 
I think there's probably something even deeper. So I think number one, it's like making it a classic is just a great mindset when the work that we're doing the work, when we're doing the work we're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, you're going to do work. Why not at least put out something that's the greatest that you can possibly. We were talking about this with your former YouTube videos. You were like, how come I have so many subscribers and only like a thousand people watch these videos? Because you have good stuff to say. But it's like you looking all like scrubby and shit like in the morning with no shirt on with your iPhone pointed towards you. And you just like randomly put it out there. And I'm like, Dude, if you just spent a little bit more time like you're doing right now with this whole setup, this could be like a classic, like everyone looking for a business idea uh, in the future will come to this video. Whereas like that video was just like, it's kind of unstructured. It's like a bunch of random thoughts. Yeah. And it was just like, I don't think that was world-class. I think you're a world-class person for it. I don't think the, the product was world-class. Do you think everyone could be world-class in something? Or do you actually believe most people are suck? Not most people suck, but like. I, I think they can grow into it if they really want to. But a lot of people don't want to put in the effort. You know that? It's just like, they don't want to put in the effort. They, they always ask for the shortcut. How do you do this? Did you get someone to help you? I'm like, no, motherfucker. I did the whole thing myself. And it kind of sucks sometimes. How many times do you get? Well, that's a really interesting point. Yeah. Go on on that. It, so that life coach post, people always, people ask me a lot. They're like, it, it's like, how did, how did you do that? Like, wh- how long did it take? I was like, I thought about it for like two months before I did it. And then I started Photoshopping stuff myself and it was making me crack up. I was alone at home, just fucking cracking up at these dumb pictures. And I I just started making a bunch. And then I was like, okay, I I can't just like rag on life coaches. I have to tell them how to correct it. So then I wrote a whole part about how to correct it. And it was a lot of work, like maybe 18 or 20 hours of work. And like, do most people put that much into a blog post? Hell no. How much do you think- That's frustrating. Can you do your, your life coach voice? My life. Do I have a life coach voice? Mister, I was You had a dog, dog, uh, dog coach voice. That was pretty funny. Dog coach? Yeah. Remember you sent the, the, the video two chains? <laughs> and you were like, I need a dog coach. That was, like, I still watch that video. It's so funny. Do you have it? I got a new phone. It's gone. No, a lot of times when you call people and leave voicemails, I always pretend to be different people. You always. <laughs> I really like that. No, but so I think that's a really amazing lesson. So like as you're doing this life coach part, this life coach article, you said it took you two months to think about it. Mm-hmm. And then it took you like, what, 20 hours. And you know what's interesting about 20 hours? People, when they think 20 hours, are like, oh, 20 hours, that's like four hours, five days a week. That's like actual work, though. I think what, what people, at least I've noticed for myself, is like when I say I've worked an eight-hour day, I'm probably only working two real hours, right? So this is like concentrated work around it. Well, there was one, I made a small typo in the Photoshop thing, and I didn't save the Photoshop file, and it bugged me. It was such a small thing that I was just like, I should just let it go. But I was like, fuck, I made the post so good. Let's make it 100% post. And so I went back and like at whatever goddamn time in the morning, I went back and cha- like re-photoshopped the whole damn thing just to make that small little change. What do you think that is for everyone? And that, that's the difference. Like, I think that was the difference between my shit and other people's stuff. It's is just that like, they have an image that's a little off and they'll accept it? I, I don't mind little changes at the time. It's just like, I'm going to make this the best post ever. And, it, and the results showed for it. So how much traffic did this one article get? It was the largest. Uh, I think it was the second largest traffic they ever got or something like that. So there's basically a clear core. It's, it's not guaranteed, but the more work you put into something, the more likely that you're going to have success with that. Maybe. I think some people write a 4,000 word post just because they think they need to write 4,000 words. They spend a lot of time and it's nothing. It's just not good. I think there's a degree of talent you have to have. Do you think that's just intrinsic, like internal, or you're, you've been around other people? Because like, you know, one thing, you, I think you learn anything. I don't believe in any of that stuff. I guess when, what I always am surprised about you is that like, as I write my stuff, um, I always think, doesn't Neville need an editor? And I'm like, because I have editors, right? Like I have Brandon who edits video. I have Jason who edits audio. I have uh, Ash and David who help me with the text. And they help me elevate my game. And I always get like, how does Neville not have an editor? I don't know. I mean, I'm a copywriter. I should be able to do this myself. <laughs> you sound like my therapist. <laughs> no, not like, no, because I asked him the same thing. I, well, not, not how does he, uh, 
how does he do his copy? Uh, but I said, you know, like he was doing a, a session and then he, he, the guy got out and it's always weird to see people come out of the therapy session. I'm like, you're sick. Something's wrong with you. And then I walk in. It's like going to a DVD store for porn. Nice. You want to get in your time machine and go back 10 years when that joke would be funny? Hey. <laughs> Actually, right. speaking of that. Anyway, so I said to him, I was like, man, you just did a session. I'm right in. Don't you want to break? And take He's like, this is my profession. This is what I do. Right. Like you are, tra- he's trained in that. And I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting concept. Like you are a professional writer. Like if you, not that you couldn't have an editor become better. But if you did, like, you know, it's like, this is what I do. And I specialize in it. I, mean, I, 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 run, I run stuff by you sometimes. I run stuff by people. I run the concept. I think I run the concept more by people than anything. Like, like for your marketing, like you're the marketer guy. Yeah. It's marketing. like, you're kind of like the buck stops here. Like you're the best. So it's like, you don't necessarily need someone to do that. You ask for opinions and stuff, but I mean, you don't need someone to do it. Where, where have you learned from all this copy stuff that you- I've just been doing it since like, I've been yeah, writing for like, 19 Okay. Let's go right? back. Let's go back maybe to the beginning. Let's, let's yeah. transition this. So you've been writing for a long time. Everyone's been writing, right? Everyone either writes emails or text messages, or now people write emojis, whatever they're doing, dick, dick pics, <laughs> I don't know. But so everyone's been writing. Like, how did you, where did you get the skills and our confidence or knowledge specifically to feel like you, you can sell that? So the first one was I was running House of Rave, which I ran like an online rave company, drop shipping. And my friend Ryan Levesque, who's now like some- He's a crazy, he's like famous, a little, rich. Yeah, a little celebrity He doesn't now. talk to us anymore. <laughs> he talks to me. No. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, actually funny well i won't go to the backstory but i got him into entrepreneurship he got me into copywriting like how so what did he do so i went to his house one day and we're talking and i was talking about like i, I was making these um emails because everyone's like the money's in the list my list is my private atm yeah, email I hear that list. From all these like goddamn marketers and stuff and so i was like yeah email list for house of rave i had seven thousand five hundred people on email list past customers so everyone's like dude like you send an email out you'll make like a thousand dollars right away whatever and i'm like okay let me try it spend all this time making these emails, like, like still like 20 hours or so. I was taking pictures, I was making buttons. I had like this cool layout. It said like, House of Rave established 1999, your source for rave retail stuff. It was like embarrassing to look at now, but I thought it was so great. And all these people clicked on the first email I sent out. Um, it was very clicky, 35% clicks or something, which is like, like it's insanely high. Yeah. And, um, but then no one bought. And so $80 a month, I was paying getresponse.com. I don't even know if that exists anymore. It's an email service. And I was making $40 in profit, maybe. So a negative, negative $40 in, in everything. So um, I was like, man, these emails kind of suck. So I just kept sending them out thinking like, oh, it's just brand exposure, brand exposure. Then Ryan Levesque was just like, uh, dude, you should read these Gary Halbert letters. So you can go online, type it in thegaryhalbertletters.com and um, and find it and print them out. It's called The Boron Letters, chapters one through 25. He's like, dude, he gave me this speech for like 30 minutes about why I should print them out. I was like, fine, fine. I'll go fucking get a printer and print them out. So I printed them out. The first three were about life and eating and stuff. From three to 25, every night, I kid you not, I was up till six in the morning reading them. Like I literally couldn't put them down. And I was like simultaneously mad and happy at, with myself that I was reading them at the age of, I don't know, 26, 25, something like that. And I was like, God damn it. Why didn't I know this stuff before? Like I, I used to do like power washing and stuff. And the way we would like sell is be like, oh, hey, you want us to power wash your house? If I had known, read the Gary Halbert letters, it would have been totally different. Do you remember what he would have done? I mean, he would have, he would have prepared a little bit. He would have had like a, a booklet showing like before and afters. He would show like the other neighbors that have had it done. He would say that we have special pricing just right now. All, all this kind of stuff. You'll see. Read the Boron Letters chapters one through 25. And um, and from there, we wrote a one, sorry, a one and a half or two page email. And, and, and Ryan helped me write it where it said, um, 
there's these finger lights that were a really bestseller. And I just thought that people like 16 year olds on drugs at raves where you're using these finger lights. Right. And Ryan was like, are there any other reasons people use these? I'm like, well, yeah. Like I pick up all the support, support phone calls. Like, uh, there's people that use them for plumbing. So plumbers would buy a lot of them. I always thought that was weird. Cause like they go under sinks and they can't see with their headlamps. So they use the little finger lights. Parents buy them for their kids to look for monsters under their bed. No joke. Like these are real things. Uh, Battlestar Galactica bought a bunch to use as like ray gun props. And so I was like, whoa, there's all these different uses. So we wrote that in the email, like showed all the different uses. We didn't even include a single picture of them. And at the end, I made an offer that we have 500 extra in stock. We're selling at a one-time price, first come, first serve. It's kind of like, you can see this text online I've written about it. It's like a little, not scammy, but like a little kind of aggressive. And here's the thing. I sent it out on a Friday night, historically like the worst night for sales. And I sent it out within two hours, I got 120 orders. Keep in mind at the time I was getting like 10 orders on average a day. And I was like, what? Like, what? Like, how's this even possible? And that's when I was like, something clicked. I was like, something worked here. And then from then on, House of Rave became like an email marketing company almost overnight. How did that change your revenue? I mean, it went up by like 50% almost immediately. Like, because I can now send, so instead of waiting back and waiting for people to come through the search engines and find my stuff and buy it, I could actually send out an offer and make money up, like drum it up. You know, one thing I wonder about that is that I, you know, I, I never thought email would help me make so much money or help grow our businesses so much. And not in an arrogant way, but it's not something like as a little kid, like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? An email marketer. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but a lot of people still don't realize that like emails, email lists and not, I'm not trying to say like, go create, well, I am trying to say actually. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that like, hey, having an email list and then communicating with them is really valuable. Right. Until you actually sent it and you're like, holy shit, I just like hit, hit the jackpot. I mean, what do you, how do you, how do you plan to see? Is it just like, hey, send one email today and see what you can do? No, no, no. So, uh, of course, like I was writing all the, like the, the major AppSumo emails for, for a long time. Right. And like the thing I would always use is like, I, I made up this formula where it's just like a, a general formula. I don't have to follow exact, which is 70% information, like 7% good stuff information, 30% sales. Hmm. So the format of every AppSumo email I wrote, and even to this day, they kind of follow it sort of. They're now it's at a point where they don't have to do it as much. But it's like if we're talking about grasshopper.com, one of the first deals that we wrote was um, I talked about how Grasshopper makes your little one-man operation, whether you're a lawyer or e-commerce store, seem like a really big company. It has like a phone tree, it has holding music, it has different departments, it can forward it to different phones. I talked about how I personally use Grasshopper to make House of Rave seem like a really big company with a shipping department, when in reality, I was picking up the phone myself. Um, So then people were like, whoa, I could use something like that. I'm an accountant and it looks ghetto when I pick up my cell phone at a party. Instead, if I had a phone tree, that'd be awesome. And then at the end, it's like, well, what do you know? We got 30% off on uh, uh, Grasshopper for the whole year. I guess it's like, do you think more people like that? You were saying how, like the type of email to send, but is, is your thought more like they need to just send an email and see how it goes? Because I feel like people are like, yeah, cool email. I got it, whatever. Is it just like go send it and actually see if you can get a result? Actually, the one, so the one I've, so if you type in uh, House of Rave quick sell experiment, there might be a password on it. I'm pretty sure it's giggity. Um, so yeah, House of Rave quick sell experiment on Nevblog and the password is giggity. And you can see the whole script right there and just copy it. What I would suggest you do, if you're being very timid and don't want to send anything out, copy that script I did and just interchange your product for it and see what happens. Why do you, you have a password on this one? I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll remove it. Yeah. But uh, um, <laughs> I don't know. It makes it kind of cool now, right? Password. It's kind of neat. Giggity. It is actually neat. Is, is that the password? Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, so, um, so you get 
copy it and just send it out to a small portion of your list. And what happens every single time? What do you know? People buy and, and every person's like, okay, I'm convinced. Let's start talking copy. Like that's, that's how it happens over so and over So send it out again. to a smaller group of your audience, see the results. And then you can be like, okay, you, you have a low risk for actually doing that. You have a low risk. Yeah. But just try it. That's why a lot of people are very timid. I'm like, will you just give me 10% of your list to try this on? And they're like, okay, fine. They send it out. As soon as they make sales, they're over it. They're just like, okay, this works. Let's do it again. How do we do it again? <laughs> how did you, like, when did you do non-physical stuff? Like, when did you start getting in this digital product business? It was, it was, uh, so I, I was also sending emails out for Nevblog, sort of, but not really like copier and just kind of like my posts and everything. And then the AppSumo era was when I started really doing it. So how did you do that? I mean, were you just bugging me a lot? No, you were working out of my place. No, I know that. I, I would show up in my like lobby of my building. You'd be there. I'm like, that free, <laughs> free coffee. <laughs> yeah, he was like using the free curing machine or something like that. I did. <laughs> like, what are you doing? And so, like, we we, we remember we had drinking Fridays, yeah, of which sounded oh. way cooler than it like really was. No, that was cool. It was awesome, but everyone drank just like two drinks. Yeah, it was good. We just drank on Fridays and worked. Yeah, so that was really fun. So you were coming over and working a lot, and you were doing AppSumo kind of like part time. It was like it was just a, a hobby. It was such a it was a hobby at the time, and I really liked your deals. I was like, dude, I want these, and you would give me like coupons and stuff. But I was like, I'm doing this copywriting stuff at the same time. Let me try on your store. This. Yeah. Because yeah. you hated writing emails. That was one thing. You I, really I almost never sent an email. Yeah. You were really brilliant at getting emails, but you hated sending emails. It was like a weird combination. And so I was like, let me try this. And uh, the first one we did was, uh, uh, what was it? Um, the, the font one. Remember? Kinotopia. Uh, no, no. Uh, Kernest. Kernest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I wrote like the first line was like, if you get a boner when I whisper Garamond into your ear. And you were just like, what the fuck, dude? Come on, we can't send this kind of stuff. And 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 like I made all these sexual jokes about Verdana and, and all these different fonts, right? And um, we used like a Steve Jobs quote about um, about fonts, all that kind of stuff. And that one just totally took off. It was a font deal. And, and that, we that was the first $10,000 deal. Yeah, we edited it severely because I think the first one was like real crazy. If your knees, if your knees go weak when I whisper Garamond, <laughs> you might be one of them. <laughs> what did I say, font whore? Uh, just like you know who you are. Uh, I think we said font fanboy because we don't want to say whore or something like that. Totally. So, yeah. I'd, <laughs> if you're not, uh, I'm going to save you a bunch of time. If the names Lucida, Career New, don't mean anything to you, go ahead and close this page. <laughs> You're smiling years you later. You see, That's my hilarious. friend, today we're reaching out only to the community of people known as font fanboys. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> if your knees go weak when I whisper Garamond, you might be one of them. You can call yourself a designer or developer to normal society, but behind closed doors, we know the elegance of Ver <laughs> Verdana's. Verdana's. That's fucking good. I'm going to finish it. Curves turn you on. And that's why we're here today. As Steve Jobs described his obsession with beautiful topography, Quote, I learned about serif and sans serif typeface. I don't know why I'm doing British. About very. <laughs> <laughs> and he talks more about Steve Jobs' quote. If like Jobs, your lust for fonts brings <laughs> more and more every month, the solution stands before you. Kernest. Did you hear that? I said, Kernest. It takes an obsessive eye to pick which fonts play well together. And every month, a new combination of fonts are delivered to you. Complete. With HTML and CSS highlighting. <laughs> That's some good copy. <laughs> Maybe you're like me. You can easily tell when something looks really good, but you don't know why. 
This is a problem I have. I can see clean looking web pages, but can't tell well my Frankensite doesn't look that <laughs> slick. <laughs> Often the answer is topography. When I smash Arial 12 <laughs> with a Tahoma 36, it somehow doesn't work <laughs> and don't even get me started on the color schemes. Once again, Kernis to the rescue. When you get your new fonts, you can rejoice that you don't have to fool around with them. They are ready to implement. I have slobber all over my screen. Uh, and the grueling process of marrying fonts together has been taken care of by the almighty Kernist himself. <laughs> Most things in life aren't free and don't dare expect Kernist to be. Oh, that's good. Curtis charges 15 bucks a month for delivering the most obsessively picked font combinations every month. This, my dear Sumaling, is $180 a year. A fair price for making your client's knees quiver. (laughs) (laughs) Your stunning work. But full price makes the AppSumo angry and hungry. (laughs) That was the first... The character reference. This is where you started. He came alive. Yeah. We have we have convinced with a K, <laughs> Kernest with a K through, in, <laughs> through intimidation and force <laughs> to give away a lifetime membership at less than the yearly price. This means no monthly payments, no yearly pay- Oh my God. No yearly payments, no alimony payments. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this is so good. No nothing for life. Just magical font combinations every month capable of making an ugly project come to life from beautiful topography. As you know from past Upsuma promotions, we always get the late to the gamers whining and pleading to let them buy the deal after it's over. The countdown on AppSumo does not lie. If you are a designer, take action now to stand out from the lifeless design and stay ahead of the game. Get your lifetime membership to Kernest here. P.S. We also convinced, a.k.a. threatened Kernis to give away the last four months of font combinations for every lifetime sign-up through this deal. You get them as soon as you sign up, period. That was good. That was like... That was not just us. That was really good. That was amazing writing. How long did it take you to write? Do you remember? I, I think I made it out like an hour and a half. And then we kind of changed some of the font horror stuff, like just the email spam complaints or whatever. But... um. But right, that was goddamn good compared compared to what you were before. It was just like a coupon for like a deal or something like that. You know, because before, literally, I had a guy in Bulgaria, Nikolai, who I love. He would write the emails. And he doesn't even speak English very well, <laughs> and he'd be like, "Here's the deal, and uh, you get the link." Soviet then- Russia font buys you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, you know, it's funny. One of the things we talked about in one of the earlier segments was like. If you're not sure that email is important, like test it, right? So this was like, we didn't have much of a mailing list. So test sending this out. Can I pause for a second? Yeah. I was really proud that you were laughing so hard reading that. Like that made me like really, like I don't know. I don't even remember the money or whatever. It's just like that made me really happy. Like that was really cool. And that that was multiplied by like 50,000 or something. Like that was, that's cool to me. I find that really enthralling. Just that people are enjoying it so much. Yeah, like I remember people would be like, what the fuck? Why do I read all your emails? These are just insane. There was all sorts of crazy. And then when we got the like the sumo character involved, the 512 pound sumo because area code 512 is Austin, like all the fat jokes and the racist Asian jokes and we still say those, but like. (laughs) (laughs) No, it used to be like, I literally, I'd always call it toilet humor. 
where like I would just be like, am I laughing on my toilet? Right. And I would just be on my toilet all the time. being like, one, I, I used to be like, I can't believe we're sending this out. Right. Yeah. That was number one. Number two, I was like, I can't believe people are giving us money. Yeah. <laughs> like I was always, I was always shocked. But you know what the difference was when we went looking for other copywriters to start writing, what they would do is they would focus. This one did it a little bit where it focused a lot of time on the humor, but most of it was teaching people how to use the product. It was just like thrown in jokes. So it, what the point of the article was not to be funny. The point was to sell. Like that was the number one overall. And then funny was just a bonus because not all of them were funny. There was a couple of ones that were like really serious and stuff. So that was our first, that was $9,564. It was our first almost $10,000 deal ever. And we never knew more. A, than- it was a font deal, a package of fonts. I didn't even know what it was. Like I still never use fonts. I don't really care about fonts, but people loved fonts. And I think that, that, you know, what's interesting. And I've thought about this. Remember, historically, we talked about it. When you're selling someone, there's like three types of people. There's like the ones who are going to buy no matter what. Mm-hmm. The ones who are like, not, they're just like uh, the tire kickers. Mm-hmm. It's that middle fence that like this copy is actually really appealing to. Right? Yeah. It's the ones who are like, I don't really know. Convince me. Right. People actually, it's like when you go to a restaurant, you're like, what should I order? They're like, well, this is actually, what, do you like chicken? Oh, this dish is like the best one we've ever had. And you, the, people wanted to be Dude, convinced. There, you know, a thing I always remember in my life, we went out to dinner with four people one time at uh, some some seafood place. The guy was just like, hey, I'm your waiter. Have any of you been here? We're like, no. He's like, can I give my little presentation? And we're like, presentation? That's weird. He started walking around the table. He was moving, like literally walking around the table to where I had to like move. And like, I was like, what the hell's going on? And I was listening to him. He told a story about the swordfish or something like that or the whitefish, whatever. And he's like, by the end of this, People are moved. This swordfish, and he put his hands on the table and goes, it is life-changing. And we're all like, yes, please. It was just like, it was, that, it was just like. Oh, I thought you were going to say how big the swordfish was. No. It, it was just like, like he pulls out his dick or something. Life-changing. Like, and he like looked around and he, was, he like held the character. And we were just like, good Lord, like you will have the swordfish, whatever. Just, yeah, yeah. Let's just tip him now. It, it was amazing. How was the swordfish? It was actually pretty good. But, but how much of that was influenced by what he said? Yeah. I mean, it was a good swordfish already, but but how much of it was influenced by like, damn, this is going to be life-changing and the anticipation it built up, it made our experience better because of like his sheer enthusiasm and like fun that he did instead of just being like, what do you want to order? What? Did I ever tell you like, that's how they trained us at Macy's? I think I no. told you that story. No, how? So I worked in bed, you know, I worked in bed sheets and mm-hmm. towels and like they had one day of sales training and the whole day of sales training was just this. They made us watch videos and the videos were of waiters. And really? I'm like, what the hell is this? And yeah, it was waiters at restaurants. And they showed different examples of a waiter coming up and saying, oh, what do you want to eat? Okay, cool. Did any of you guys want any dessert or anything like that? All right, cool. All right, then here's your bill, right? And then they showed up another waiter. And I never thought of a waiter as a salesperson and until then, which was uh-huh. like, oh, how are you guys doing today? Great. Oh, I'm Noah. Whatever. Nice to meet you. Oh, we have an amazing thing today. Swordfish. Oh, and then dessert menu. I always think about this at restaurants. Have you ever been to a restaurant where they ask if you want dessert? Versus a restaurant where they just give you the dessert menu. Yeah. You know, or they bring the dessert tray. Yeah. Dessert tray always kind of words me out. I'm like, how long has it been out? But <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it seems like, I don't know, it's strange. But the point being is that like, there's that level of like convincing someone where like, if they give in the menu, I'm like, well, might as well take a look. And then how many times have I then been like, okay, I'll, you know, I don't want anything. Or I, you know, I get creme brulee, which is my thing. Like Gary Halbert used to call it, he, he would put theater into his marketing, which can, which can go both ways. It can make it even more tasty, or it could also just make it really scammy. Um, so, but I think like the waiter, the way he did it, like he made our experience better because of it. That's interesting. They showed you that for waiters. For selling, at, right? for selling bed sheets. And I, well, I just thought conceptually it was a great way to think about it. We're like, Hey, your job is to help. Like, I never think of sales. Like, and this is a whole separate thing, but like selling either with words or with, you know, with your voice 
it's never actually like selling. It's just educating someone else. That's the way I look at it. I'm like, hey, you need this if I actually believe they need that product. And so I think for you, you made it a fun experience for the right people to buy. It's that also product. more fun for quite honestly, it's more fun for me. Like that's what's Ooh, most that's important. Good. Like I'm I'm very selfish and have good boundaries with stuff. And it's like, if it's not fun for me, I'm not gonna do it. Right. So what's like not fun stuff that you have to that you're still doing now? I, I I've eliminated a lot. I think like just sometimes a sheer amount of so the sheer amount of like writing sometimes gets to you. It's tiring. It's not always going to be all rosy, but I still like doing it. It still gives me great, great pride. How do you get through like that hard part where it's not fun? You just fucking do. I don't know. Like, I, mean, I don't know like what better. Excuse. Are you at home or are you normally I'm com- out? I'm competitive. I want it to be the best goddamn thing. And I need to put out uh, articles at a certain pace. There's a, a, a queue of articles I have that I just want to get through as fast as possible. And, um, and I don't know. I know I'm not going to go back and revise it. I always say I am. I'm not. So I just make it really good that time. So a lot of the things, and I've been more aware of that in the content we're creating is creating timeless classics, mm-hmm. right? So if you actually watch like, and I was talking about, I don't know if I was talking about you, but I was talking about this with someone else and I thought it was really fascinating. Maybe Taylor, John Stewart was talking about how he was jealous of Seinfeld. Hmm. And it was because like the Daily, the Daily Show, how often have you watched an episode of The Daily Show? Well, it's old. It's old. It's old news. How many times have you watched a Seinfeld episode? Hundreds. So what's the difference? classic it's a classic yeah right and there's it's not like oh here's a thing that matters only for this generation that we get because you never watch it and so I, I thought that was a really good point about as the content you're creating like make it the best thing that you don't even that's have why to i told you your video about like how to start a business or whatever sucked or whatever the one it was i was just like you have good stuff to say make this a fucking good video so you could always point people for the next three to five years to this so when people say hey noah how do i start a business instead of you spouting off whatever you, you have time for at that time you could be like watch this yes, yeah. and it's like the video that forever goes out that's cool. Do you ever put out things that are not classics though? All the time. So that's interesting. Go on that. Yeah. Like what's an article that you thought, what's a product or article that wasn't a classic? So the sumo diet course, that that was like an obvious one. Okay. Tell me about that. We, when, when I was doing all the, uh, the app sumo products, we put out um, one called the sumo diet course because I was going through a thing where I wanted a six pack. And so I made it with our friend, Adam Gilbert. I was like, can I fly to New York and like record it with you? And um and we, we, we knew that it could be a flop or a huge hit. We weren't sure. It was kind of like it could go both ways. I remember that that was a sentiment. And then it just totally flopped. I think it like barely broke even. Like it was so bad. And we're just like, oh, maybe people that want software deals don't want diet advice from us. Yeah. And it was just, it was just like such a flop. So what, what was your lesson there? What was your takeaway? We did it for money though. That was the thing. I did it just to put out another course. That was the problem. And so every time I try to do it just for like, what else can I put out? And I try to like really hammer that hard. It seems to not do that well. So, so is it more, so do you think it's more just like, what do you actually want? Cause one thing I just, no one was asking for it. Well, a lot of people don't ask for stuff, right? Like I never asked for this touch bar thing, but they gave it to me and now I'm annoyed with it because I'm Jewish. (laughs) I have to complain about something. (laughs) I mean, it's only Friday. How many people have asked you to help them with the business? Business a lot. And then when you released monthly 1k did well? No, actually, well, we well released- eventually you did well, right? Yeah, eventually. That, yeah, that you hit a, you hit a nerve. Uh, and other courses you've done in the past did well with like how to start a business and stuff too. Yeah, I, yeah. that was the only real course that I've done. Yeah, so but then uh, there was like a there was there's demand there's, for that. Yeah, I think there's definitely people are asking certain questions, and you can look at like if, if people like don't know what to create for their customers, just look at what people are emailing you questions or ask them a question on their autoresponder. No one's ever said how do you lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a really interesting point. Like, what are the questions you normally get? I think actually one point, and we're jumping ahead and we'll come back, is that like, you actually had a lot of different products and you created Sumo Diet Course, you created Sumo Business Blueprint, you created Sumo Business Blueprint v- version two, and you created like, you know, hundreds of products. And now you have a six-figure business, but you really only sell one course only. You one, have- yeah. It used to be like all these different courses. And then I realized like, 
God damn, you got to sell all these different courses. And I was like, what if I just like kind of bundle them up? And then I was kind of looking at some of them. I was like, I don't really promote these other ones. Let's just, you've helped me a lot with this. It's kind of like, well, why don't you just get rid of it? Why don't you just focus on the good one? And so, so far I was just like, yeah, it's kind of more fun just to focus on one good one and just to keep improving that one. So that's what I came to the conclusion of. It's just easier to sell that one rather than a bunch of random disparate ones. Okay ones. Oh, it's, I, I think it's really like the Apple mentality, right? Like how many products does Apple have? 10. They have a laptop, a desktop, a phone. I don't even know. I couldn't even name more than five. Yeah. The watch. What else is there? iPad. That's five. Yeah. There's not a lot. And they are one of the, the biggest companies in the world with yeah. very few products, right? At least hardware products. Uh, and so I think that's something that I have to remind myself. It's like, okay, what stuff is working? Just do more of that, those ones. And then the stuff that like you don't, it's like, yeah, it's okay. Kill them and come back to them later. You hear that story again and again with every business. They're like, well, we got rid of the bad clients that didn't pay a lot. Like you know, it was Sumo Me. It was Sumo Me. I remember when you were doing the pricing stuff, I was even mad. I was like, I don't want to pay you $99 a month for this shit. It used to be free. And then like when you did it, you're like, shit, all those crappy people went away. And now we have all good people who pay a lot of money and make a, like, a lot of money on their end. It's also easier to treat those people well because I know that they respect it. It's like how you said you used to like give away free advice. Yeah. And, and then you charge for it. And yeah. then it's also interesting. What did you notice about the people that started coming to you? When I charged for it, they were way better and they were prepared and they were really ready to listen and implement. So you, you write the Kernest email. Well, let's come back a little bit. You write the Kernest email. Uh, you've been doing copy. You've got this e-commerce business selling uh, lights for plumbers. <laughs> i just keep thinking of plumbers crack it's gross um you know how did you transition that like so where did that go from you're writing copy you're having fun doing copy to let me try to see if i can sell this this knowledge because i think that's kind of like the big tra knowledge traditionally has been sold in a book format or maybe DVD. it was a real hard transition actually because i don't think it was a, a maybe it was common on the internet but this is kind of like i guess 2010 era or something the very first digital product i did was behind the scenes of house of rave and I launched it on my personal blog, nevblog.com. Copywritingcourse.com was- How did thing. you even think to sell that? So it was this. It was people kept asking me the same question over and over and over and over. And it was this. Yeah, can you I say had, it in a guru voice though? <laughs> you mean Indian voice? A guru, yeah. People ask me the same question over and over and over. <laughs> it's good. And what is the question, Neville? I, of course, I, I'm Indian. Go there all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so uh, what happens, people kept asking me the same things all the time, which is, uh, as like Steve Chu is in the background over here, is a drop shipping e-commerce stuff. So they're like, how did you find, uh, they would read the story about House of Rave on nevblog.com. I openly documented how much money I made and stuff, which was maybe in hindsight kind of a mistake, but people got interested in it. Like, how did you find a dropshipper? Um, what kind of agreement did you set up? How did you make your website? Um, what software do you use? They asked the same questions about dropshipping over and over and over. Like, what product should you sell? And so I did a whole six-part series completely breaking down everything I did with House of Rave. And what happened was I thought it was like, man, you know, mic drop. Everyone's going to just like read this and stop asking me questions. They asked more questions because now they understood oh, enough. They asked so many more questions. I, I outlined the whole goddamn thing. They're like, but how do you physically go through and find a supplier? I'm like, didn't I just document it? They wanted to see it. And so um, here's actually what was something interesting. One of my cousins came from India. What's his name? Uh, Chirag. Graduated uh, top, uh, top of his class at Carnegie Mellon like one year, got his master's in like advanced e-commerce. This guy could like build amazon.com if he wanted to. He could code it up. And he was with me in my apartment looking at house of rave and just blown away at how this works like this rinky dink operation and i was like why are you so impressed by this he's just like i just didn't know you could even do this and i was like of anyone who knew like what you could do with e-commerce it was him 
And he was even surprised. And so even like I would show my brother and all sorts of people and they're just like, this is weird that this actually works. Like, I can't believe it. Like, what about this customer support? How do you handle that? I'm like, I check my email every day. <laughs> like, it was, it was really just that. Like, I don't know what you want else. Like, there's no fancy system. You just check the email. And so, um, so from that, I was like, okay, maybe I should make a video series on it. And that takes work. Han, what made you think to do the, that's the point I want. So I was going to be like, I'm going to make an even better blog post. But I was like, damn, those other blog posts took me a long time. I'm going to have to charge for this. So I had some marketing What made friends, you think to charge for that? Friends. Other friends told me to charge for it. And so they were just like, dude, look at these guys. They showed me example of people selling stuff for like $97, all that stuff. And I was like, I can't charge. I did not want to charge. I thought it was scammy. I thought it was uh, not right. I thought no one would pay for it. I was afraid of doing it. And so you remember the conversation we had about it. I made the product and I was going to launch it. And I didn't know what pricing. I made $37. That was the product. I didn't, I don't know why it was just, there's no reason to it. Just, I just saw someone else do it. So I made like a quote unquote sales page, you know, the way I thought a sales page could look. I, I still think it's an awesome looking sales page. Is um, it still up? I think so. Behind the scenes of amuse.com. I think it's still up. Okay. And so um, I Photoshopped all the stuff myself. I was so proud of it. And then I launched it and I just, I didn't have an email list. I didn't collect emails at the time. I was, a, I launched it as a blog post with a PayPal button at the end. That's it. And you told me this, you were like, and I always remember this conversation. You're like, before you launch it, why don't you have like a metric for happiness? I was like, what do you mean? You're like, how many do you want to sell? I was like, if I sell 10 of these, I'd be really happy. Like ever. For real. That was the thing, 10. And uh, that day, I think we sold like 27, it made a thousand bucks, whatever that number was, like 990, something like that. And so um, 37 divided, whatever. And so, uh, yeah, it made a thousand dollars. I was like, holy shit, I made more than 10 months of AdSense on my blog. And I was like, isn't that way better? Instead of like these dumb, like pharma commercials on the side of my blog, I could just put a little link to that product and people buy it. And that was the very start of my digital product career. And people liked it. That was the weird part. People were like, dude, I'm so glad I spent $37 for this. I was like, really? Like, I feel like I just wrote this all out in a blog post. I was just stunned. I could not believe it. That was a start. And then it went from there. And then I think I made like, I don't know, 13 more or something like that. And it produced a bunch. I almost want to end here and then have people come back at a future episodes, right? Like that's like the beginning. I'm of like it. homeless. <laughs> <laughs> we left you right at the best part stay tuned for the next episode where neville shares the exact story of how he turned that single blog post into a six-figure business but right now if you really enjoyed this episode i just want you to text someone that you love them whoever text them right now that you love them secondly we don't sell ads or sponsorships besides neville's mom and it literally makes my day and only takes a few seconds so either a leave a review and if you haven't go tell someone else about the show Three, I love feedback. I really want to make this better for you, better for me, and I love hearing from you. So feel free to tweet me at Noah Kagan, N-O-A-H-K-A-G-A-N. Have a special day. What's your favorite dessert? <laughs> <laughs>